This message is part of the teaching provided by House on the Rock Fellowship, a church caring for the Miami Valley region. Before you listen, be sure to access the notes in the download section of the message page. Have a Bible ready. Thank you for being our guest. The Lord be with you this morning. May he bless you and keep you and his face shine upon you. You guys look great. And I'm very excited to be with you this morning. Uh, my name is Paul. To our guests, uh, pastor and teacher here. And it does. It means a lot to us that you would come out on a Sunday morning. Those online watching, thank you uh, for tuning in. Check in with the hosts. Uh, they'd love a chance to say hi to you also. I'm the oldest of four. I have a younger brother, two younger sisters, and we drank from the garden hose growing up. Anyone else here drink from the garden hose growing up? We did not have water bottles. There's no water bottles. There's no Yetis. There's no fancy flasks. You couldn't go to a gas station and there were 30 different types of water and water bottles, mountains, spring, flowing, whatever. It's, no, you're thirsty. You go over to the garden hose, you turn it on and you take a drink. But because I'm the oldest, I was always happy to help my younger siblings drink from the garden hose also. Some of you are also older children. Or you had a vile older sibling who helped you drink from, what did I mean? Well, you take a drink from the water hose and then you pass it off to your brother and sister for them to drink out of the water hose. But what would you do? Oh, you would spray them. Oh, I wasn't going to do that. I, I, you'd kink the hose, right? You kink the hose. Some of them are shaking your heads, right? And so they're like, I'm like, oh, where did it go? Where did it go? Look, maybe it's stuck. And they're like, and when they look in the hose, what do you do? You, yes, yes, birthright, birthright, privilege to be able to baptize your siblings in holy, rich, iron-laden, hard water right from the town. Yeah, got to drink from the fire, drink from the water hose. But you can't kink it, can't you? You can limit the flow. You can cut off the capacity for water to flow to somebody. But we can do the same thing too in our spiritual life. We can actually cut off and limit what ought to be God's free flow through us to others. We can cut off the flow. A few weeks ago, we began a study in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, where we're learning about things like love and devotion and God's flow through us to others, what that takes, what that looks like. It is the most excellent way, what the Apostle Paul says. A billion times better than any other thing that you can do in life is to pursue your capacity and ability to be a vehicle and a vessel for God's love to flow through, some, through, through you to somebody else. Now, you can chase after other things. He says that's an empty life. Your words are empty. Your ministry is empty. Your life is empty. You get to the end and you will have nothing. There will be nothing. Or you could be a vehicle for love. The kind of love that waits patiently for others. That shows kindness. 
Then we began to talk last week about certain things that will kink up that hose, kink up that flow. Things like arrogance and boasting and rudeness and envy. And today we're going to look at more kinks in the hose as we work through 1 Corinthians chapter 13 together. So would you turn there? Come with a Bible. We, we, uh, Bible's a big deal here at our fellowship. There are verses up on the screen, and uh, Nikki's going to help us with those. But do, if you brought a copy, that's wonderful. They're located in the seats in front of you. Um, if you're watching online, grab a Bible, find one. Um, it's, it's, it's a big deal. It's a big deal here. Now, as you find 1 Corinthians 13, I'm going to read just a line ahead of that. I'm going to pray and ask that the Spirit would bless, bless our time. Let me pray. A great Father God, you who have shown your devotion to us through the sacrifice of Jesus, we ask that your spirit would be here amongst us, moving in such a way that we sense the prompting, we sense the calling, opening our hearts and our minds to the beautiful things that are your, in your truth. May your grace wash over us and your peace wash over us. Push back the distractions of the world, the lies of the world. May we be transformed this morning by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me read, just to review also, where we've been. I'm going to read the first part of 1 Corinthians 13. I'm going to do a sentence ahead of that just to remind us. Paul says, the Apostle Paul, I will show you still a more excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong, a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so to remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all that I have, if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. For love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. And then our phrase for today, it does not insist on its own way. It does not insist on its own way. This passage that we're looking at is a document that's 2,000 years old. It's describing and written to a culture that's 2,000 years old. But what I firmly believe is that if the Apostle Paul were walking today and writing today, he'd pretty much write the same thing to our culture in our time and our fellowship. Their struggles are our struggles. Their problems are our problems. And the solution, I believe, would be the same solution. And he would say, love, love. It's the more excellent. But what does that mean? What does that word mean? Love. It's kind of out there. Kind of scattered, if you will. Took the boys to the firing range a couple days ago. Just fun time hanging out with the boys. They're shooting a pistol, shooting a shotgun. Um, shot some bird shot, buck shot, shot, shot slug. Even Jackson, who weighs all of, you know, 20 pounds, right, man? You get picked up that shotgun. All right, that was disrespectful. I apologize. I just compared to me, you weigh 20 pounds. That's all. But no, Jackson, stood up that, 
man, he was doing it. He was doing it. And if you know anything about munitions for a shotgun, like a you know, bird shot, we're talking about little BBs, little BBs, just everywhere, all over the place. You shoot it at a cardboard, little holes all over the place. As opposed to slug, big old hole. The way we as a culture handle the word love it's a little bit like birdshot. It's kind of all over the place. Well, I have a definition of love, and I have a definition of love, and I have a definition of love. I think love is this, and I think love is this. And everyone's like, that's fine. That's great. Whatever. What the Apostle Paul is telling and teaching us is that love is very precise. What he is saying here, it is this, and it's not something else. It's a technical term. It's a technical use. That's important. Because if you want to change a culture, you change how a word is understood. Change definitions. I was watching some Senate hearings and some congressional hearings. A woman was before a congressional hearing and the question was, uh, can a, a woman be pregnant? That was the question. I thought that was an interesting question. I just, that's a pretty obvious question. And the response was to the person asking the question, well, you're, you're, you're transphobic for asking that question. I'm like, man, 10 years ago, these terms didn't even exist. How do we handle that? I saw another video. A man was walking around like a boardwalk and interviewing people. And he asked one, he says, hey, is it okay if I identify as a woman? And the guy says, if you want to identify, that's fine. You can identify as a woman as you. If you want to be a woman, you can be a woman. Now, he's a white guy like me, okay, just so you can see what I saw. He asked him, can I be a black woman? If you want to be a black woman, you can be a black woman. Okay. He says, what if I want to be a child? What if I identify as a child, like a five-year-old child? If you want to identify as a five-year-old child, then you can do that. That's fine. It's your reality. You can do whatever you want. He says, what if I identify as being your child? You can't do that. You can't do that. That's not true. How interesting, isn't that? Definitions matter when it begins to invade our reality. The Apostle Paul was talking about something that invades all of our reality. And it's not up for debate. In fact, it's something to embrace and receive. This more excellent way that the Apostle Paul says, invest in and pour into, let me tell you exactly what it is and exactly what it's not. It waits patiently. It shows kindness. It's agape, meaning it's devoted to the other. Versus eros, the devotion to self. It does not insist on its own way. If you really want to understand this, we have to go back in time about five months to the middle of February. February 14th, to be precise. <laughs> oh. Oh. What is the mascot of Valentine's Day? A fat man in a diaper and a, with a bow and arrow, right? A little fat man in a diaper and a bow and arrow. Well, if you were to root that in Greek mythology, right, we're talking about Cupid or in the Greek Eros. 
And he was not pictured as a little fat man in a diaper. In fact, he was a warrior in armor with a bow and arrow because he was the son of love and war. Did you know that? Venus and Mars. And he could shoot you with a gold arrow and it would bring about incredible desire within you to want something. Or he could shoot you with a lead arrow, a lead tip, and it would make you despise something. And there are times in mythology and his vindictiveness where he would shoot one person with a gold arrow and shoot someone else with a lead arrow so that someone would desire somebody, but that other person would be repulsed by them. To talk about Eros and Cupid, to talk about that is to talk about a manipulative love that hunts and dominates and conquers and is sneaky and lurks behind corners and takes you when you're not looking and paying attention. To that, the Apostle Paul says, let me teach you a different kind of love that does not insist on its own way. He contrasts the love of God, agape, with the cultural norm of love that is eros, a self-seeking, self-interested love. To insist means to chase after something. To insist on it is to chase after and pursue your way, your interest, what satisfies you. But to do that, you cannot love God's way. Because if I'm going to chase after my interests, I have to turn my back on your interests. And if I'm going to pursue what's best for you, that means I'm probably going to have to deny what I might want at times. You want to see a marriage fail? Have two people chase after their own wants. Right? You want to fail as a parent? Teach your kid to do whatever they want. Fulfill their desires. You want to see a country fail? Empower people to do what they want and desire. You want to see a church fail? Teach them to go after their own interests at the expense of others. Yeah. Maybe you've seen this. Maybe you know what this is like. Yeah. But we need to unpack it. We need to drill down on this. It's, it's not enough just to read it. So we're going to look at another church. Different church, same problem, actually, believe it or not. Different churches, same problem. And the church is the church in Rome. So I want you to find the book of Romans, chapter 15. If you're in 1 Corinthians, you just got to go to the book before that. It's real easy to find. And Nikki will you know, have some up on the screen. We're going to look at Romans 15. Let me give you a little bit of background as you find it. The Roman church was comprised of five to seven house churches. If you're familiar with our life group ministry, they're like life groups. We have life groups throughout the Miami Valley. Okay. These were house churches that were throughout the urban center of Rome, the center of the world at that time. There wasn't one gathering that was the Roman church that met in a big old, no. It was, there's a house church here, there's a house church here, there's a house church there, there's a house church there. And the leaders of those house churches had a problem. It was a collision of ideologies, a collision of conscience, 
You had Jews and Gentiles who saw different ways of following after Jesus, and it was splitting and dividing this church. So the, readers, the, the, the leaders of those churches write back to the Apostle Paul and say, hey, we got ourselves a hot mess, like a real hot mess. We don't know what to do. Gentiles want to do it their way. Jews want to do it their way. We're just trying to follow Jesus. Help us. So he writes a letter with his team. He sends it back with a deacon named Phoebe. And she goes and she preaches to these five churches. And she shares this letter. Where the Apostle Paul establishes how in Jesus we are all one. We are all children of Abraham. Jews and Gentiles, y'all got to figure this out. And as he writes chapter after chapter after chapter. He didn't call them chapters then. He gets towards the last fifth of the book. He says, it's all about love. This is all about love. If you say Saturday is important, it's a high day, beautiful, but not at the expense of love. If you say that all days are the same, that's fine. Beautiful, but not at the expense of love. If you say that you can eat everything, great, but not at the expense of loving your neighbor and your brother. If you believe that you can't eat certain things, that's fine but not at the expense of loving your neighbor. All of this building to this beautiful crescendo, this section of scripture. So let me read for you Romans 15. And I think this will help us understand what does it mean to say we're not going to insist on our own way. In this passage, there's kind of two bookends, verses one and two and verse seven, kind of summarize everything. And then there's four principles in the middle. That we'll open up together. But let me read it for you. Follow along. Romans 15, verses 1 through 7. We who are strong, we have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak, not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it's written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through uh, encouragement of scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Jesus Christ, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So in verse 1 and 2, kind of give us a, 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 a title, a launching pad here. He says, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. So there's, there's some terms here we probably need some help getting our heads around. Strong and weak, strong and weak. Theologians kind of go back and forth. What's he talking about? He talks about strong and weak. And there's multiple ways of understanding it. And that's great. I think the Apostle Paul wrote it that way so we can insert our situation into this story. Ultimately, he's talking about a, a person that's in a position of power and influence and someone who's not. And there's a disagreement between the two of them. He's talking about a person who's in a position of strength, power, and influence. And someone who's not. And there's a difference between the two of them. He's saying those of you who are in a position of strength have an obligation 
to bear with the weaker. Okay. Let me give you an example, okay? Let's say Deb and I disagree on something. We would never do that because Deb and I are both right all the time. Let's say that Deb and I disagree about something, something in the outworkings of our faith. I see it one way, she sees it another. But I'm in a position of power, aren't I? I'm in a position of influence. I have an obligation to bear with her, to not manipulate, not to coerce. That word obligation, it's a financial term. It means I owe somebody. You have an obligation to do this. Who do I owe when it comes to the outworking of my salvation? Who am I indebted to? Who paid for, redeemed for, rescued and ransomed me? I have an obligation to Jesus to work out my faith in a loving way, especially when I'm around people who have less influence and position than I do. To bear with them means to hold up, to carry. We're in a situation where she's struggling to carry something, struggling to do something. Maybe something, her conscience struggles with something. I have a responsibility to bear with her, to walk alongside of her, to walk alongside of him. It says failings. It's not necessarily talking about a moral situation. It's talking about a weakness, someone's inability to do something. I need to go slow with them to play the long game. We who are strong have an obligation because of what Christ has done for us to bear with, to go slow with those who are weak, not to please ourselves, not to satisfy our own desires and our own longings and our own thinkings, but to what? To build them up, to do what's good for them. Like you're going to build up a house. What's beneficial, that's what good means. This is important. This is a governing statement, okay? This isn't about being tolerant of all things for all people at all times. This is very precise. This is very specific. I want to see them built up. I want to see them put back together again. What sin has wrecked and death has destroyed and the world comes after and evil is hunting for, like God himself and Jesus Christ, I want to see someone made whole again. to restore them. Maybe we can say this in the beginning of your notes, the top page of your notes, something we can write down together as we continue to understand neighborly devotion, agape. Neighborly devotion chases after others' wholeness, not personal happiness. Neighborly devotion chases after others' wholeness, not my own personal happiness. give you a chance to write that down. It's that conflicting love, God love of devotion to somebody else versus eros, Cupid, the love of self and self-interest and manipulation. I'm going to chase after it. He says, don't insist on your own way. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, to insist means to pursue, to chase after something, to hunt for it. Make that your priority in your pursuit. I'm not, what I'm going to chase after, I'm going to chase after your wholeness, your coming together again, your restoration in Jesus Christ. And that might happen at my own personal expense. Very often does. 
my own personal happiness. It was interesting, I've, I've been wrestling with in the, in the New Testament's own personal study on how often in the beginning and the end of all the letters in the New Testament, the writer will bless the audience of that letter, whether it's a church or it's an individual or it's a general letter to all followers of Jesus. Paul will say, or James, John will say, may the grace of God be with you. May God's peace be with you. And no matter the letter of the audience, those two elements are always there. May God grace you with his peace. Peace, shalom. Wholeness, completeness, the way God designed you to be, purposed you to be. May he put those pieces back together again. May God work in such a way that no matter what I have to talk about in this letter, it bring about your restoration. The great blessing of Aaron in Numbers. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you. May his countenance shine on you. And do what? Give you peace. We talk about the priority of this in a marriage. Paul's writing to husbands and wives in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. He says, husbands, you have a, a, a moral responsibility to please your spouse, to care for your spouse. That's a priority for you. And he, says, he says, wives, you have a moral responsibility to please the other, to care for the other. Your body is not your own. You covenanted to take care of the other. You covenanted. You, may, you, you stood before others and said, I will make this person my priority at my own personal expense. Neighborly devotion, agape, chases after others' wholeness, not personal happiness. Easy or hard? Easy or hard? Oh my goodness, that's so hard. That is so hard to suppress my own wants and interests to care for somebody else. Most of us here, myself included, much rather chase after my own wants. How do we get from that island of self-centeredness, that island of eros and erotic self-centered love? How do we get from that island to the island of agape? That's a big, I can't make that in one jump. I can't just, all right, I'm good, Paul. That's all I needed to know. I'm out of here. I'll go do that. Easy. We got it. Piece of cake. Uh-uh. What the Apostle Paul is going to go to, and now in this, the rest of this section, is going to give us four ways, kind of four stepping stones. If you want to chase after that, then chase after these other things, and you'll get there. Okay. The first one, he says in your notes, chase after Christ's example then. Chase after Christ's example. You, you write that down, and then we're going to look at uh, verse 3 in chapter 15 of Romans. I'm going to chase after Christ's example. Verse 3, for Christ did not please himself, but as it's written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Well, what's my responsibility as a follower of Jesus Christ? As to become more like Jesus Christ. I mean, that's what I signed up for. This what this, I got baptized into Jesus Christ to become more like Jesus Christ. 
whose final hope is to become like Jesus Christ. That's, that's, so if I need help bridging that gap of chasing after someone's wholeness, then let Jesus Christ be my example. Let me saturate myself. Because he says, hey, we're, we're, we're going we're gonna to build one another. What for? Christ did not please himself. But as it's written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Now, if you're looking at your translation, that last sentence might be in quotation marks. See it up there? It's in quotation marks. It's referencing something else. It's Psalm 69. Psalm 69 is one of the most quoted psalms in the New Testament. Multiple authors, whether Matthew, Luke, here, Paul, Peter, they will reference Psalm 69 as a way of putting forth the example in the life of Jesus Christ. Because of verses like this. The reproaches of those who approached you fell on me. That which was against you, Jesus says, I took it upon myself. And not just a way to talk about the sacrifice of Jesus, but as a way to talk about the whole life of Jesus. Wasn't his birth a demonstration of God's devotion to us. I mean, talk about putting the cookies on the bottom shelf, right? Born in a cave, unknown parents, unknown town. So shepherds could have access to him. That's a demonstration of devotion to all people. If you were to look at his life, how did he live his life? Devoted and committed to others, especially those on the outside and on the outskirts. Those who weren't welcome to the table, he brought the table to them. That's how he lived his life. He suffered. Suffered for himself? No, suffered for us. Bearing his cross, bearing my cross. Dying for himself? No, dying for me. Why we take something like creed and make it a part of our life to rehearse that theology and those ideas? I'll do that with my own sons. I'll look at them in the morning and say, hey, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, good, what? conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died and buried. Why rehearse that? Because that's what I'm called to be and to do. Christ is my example. And so in the same way, the reproaches that are falling on you, let me take them upon myself. Where you are suffering, may I stand in the gap. May I come alongside of you. Chase after Christ's example. But he goes on, verse four, let's also chase after God's story. Chase after God's story. Write that down in your notes too. Let's all put that down. We're gonna chase after also, insist upon, pursue the great story of God Verse four, we're going to keep on reading. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of scriptures, we might have hope. To chase after the story of God, what was written in former days, the letters and the prophecies and the Torah and the Psalms and the Proverbs, all of this stuff. The Apostle Paul says all of this was given to us for what? For endurance and for encouragement. Why? Because loving one another is hard. To know the great story of God, that this is God devoting himself to us. 
In the moments of our greatest tyranny and treachery, God made a way to come alongside, to love us into a new future. To immerse ourselves in this story. To know this story. Notice that it's effective. Notice that this will change you. That's why it's dangerous. it'll, It'll get in you. He says it does two specific things. Encouragement and endurance to bring about hope. As I immerse myself in the story of God and God's story gets immersed inside of me through meditation and memorizing and studying and preaching and proclaiming, it transforms me. It gifts me something. Encouragement and endurance. Hope. So I ask you, What's your relationship with the book? What's your relationship with the book? Blessed is the man. Blessed is the woman who does not walk with the wicked or stand with the sinners or sit with the scoffers. But their delight is in the law of the Lord and on that law they meditate day and night. The passage that we read today, Psalm 119. Oh, how I love your law. I love your precepts. I love your commands. I reach for them. I chase after them. Why? They give encouragement and they give give endurance. They're effective. What is your relationship with the Bible? What is your relationship with the word of God? Parents, are you immersing your kids in the story of God? Or are you letting culture immerse them into another story? Are you mindful of the movies that they watch and the shows that they watch? Are you mindful of the movies that you watch and the shows that you watch? Because we are wired for story and story changes our perspective. I'm always looking for good movies. Good movies. A couple nights ago, we watched A League of Their Own. That's a good story, right? There's no crying in baseball. That's just a good story. Presents issues of justice. Talks about what's really important because it is just a game. Yeah. Putting those stories in front of my kids. Putting this story in front of my kids. Putting the story in front of me. This is an example. That's all. My Sunday mornings start around 4 a.m. Most of my days start around 4 a.m. It's a good, quiet time. Nobody else is really doing anything at 4 a.m. I like it. That way I can kind of prep and get my head around our time together on Sunday mornings. Because I love it. I love that we get to be together. But before the message prep, I still did my normal Bible reading which is a little bit of the Psalms, a little bit of the Old Testament, a little bit of the New Testament, and a little bit of the Gospels. Why? Because don't you want a loving pastor? Keep reading, Paul. <laughs> don't you want me to be the most loving pastor that I can be? Yeah. Don't, want you, don't you want me to be a loving husband and a loving father? And don't you want those things for yourself? Chase after God's story. He goes on, chase after harmony prayerfully. 
Chase after harmony prayerfully. I'm going to chase after Christ's example, put that in front of me. I'm going to chase after God's story and get that inside of me and, and reading it and knowing it. But I'm also going to harmony, the harmony of one another. He says this in verse five, may the God, this is a plea, may the God of endurance and encouragement, I want those things, grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. He's praying for this. He's, boy, we need endurance and we need encouragement because loving one another is hard. Being devoted to one another is hard. So say, well, let's pray for that. Let's ask God to give us encouragement and endurance. Let's ask God that we would walk in harmony with one another. You guys know what harmony is? Some of you know music, some of you don't know music. What's harmony? Hey, let's talk about harmony. I'm going to go over here. Harmony. You can't sing harmony by yourself. Think about that one for a while. But you can't sing harmony by yourself. So, say we have that note, right? Just one note. That's not harmony. That's just one voicing. That's just one note. But I can add another note with it, right? Now we have harmony. We can do add lots. Lots of harmony. Now we're voicing one voice, lots of different parts. And so it's important that he uses the word harmony. He leaves space for one another to have their note, to have their, their lane. Really appreciate our artists. If you listened, and we'll get a chance to sing in a little bit. You have Jason and Lindsay and Jesse, and they're singing different parts. They're singing in harmony. Jesse will sing one note, and Lindsay will sing another note. Lindsay's not down here. Lindsay's up here. Lindsay's up here. No. They're singing in harmony room for conscience and room for the strong and room for the weak. The Apostle Paul saying, sing your part. That's okay. Sing your part. But you can sing your part, but you can still be out of pitch. So I can sing this note. I just made my mom fall out of her chair at home. Right? Because this is the note, but I'm... Mm, 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 that's not the note. It's wrong. It's not in tune. It's going to really clash in bad ways with other notes. The Apostle Paul isn't saying, love doesn't mean you can do whatever you want. Right? Because it's not going to chase after self-interest. It needs to what? Pursue Christ's example. And it needs to what? Be accord with Scripture then we can chase after harmony. So there might be times when we walk up to one another and says, hey, I love you, but uh, can we get that into, in pitch, please? I love you, but we need to, because what you're creating is creating division. You're creating a clash that doesn't need to be there. Sing harmony. God, help us to sing in harmony. God, help us to give space. Jesse's not up here because, I mean, Jason's not up here. Jason's not a jerk. Jason's a nice guy. He's standing right there. He's looking at me. He's not saying to Lindsay, no, no, sing my note. You're not singing my note. It's not Lindsay's job to sing his note. He needs to sing his note. You need to sing your note. I need to sing my note. 
and create space for each other to do that. Sometimes walking alongside of one another says, hey, can I help you get on that? Can I help you there? I love you. But what you're doing is kind of prayerfully, prayerfully chasing after harmony, wholeness to build one another up. And what's the, and the last thing that he chases after? Why? For God's glory. Let's chase after the Father's glory. When you sing yours and I sing mine and we sing together in harmony, oh, that one voice brings about God's glory, the Father's glory. Verse six, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. One voice, different parts, glory, his radiance. As you sing your part and I sing my part and I live out my faith before Jesus Christ and you live out your faith before Jesus Christ in accordance with scripture, God becomes radiant in our presence. There's a shimmer and there's a glow to the church and they will know you by your love for one another. Your love for one another. In our bathroom, in our bedroom. Bathroom's not in the bedroom. Off of our bath bedroom is the bathroom. It's ours that the boys like to use. That's a different message. The light bulbs are going out above the sink. My wife says, hey, the light bulbs are going out above the sink. I'll change the light bulbs. Why is the light bulb going out? It's starting to flicker. It's like it's doing its thing. Because there's a little filament in there that is connected between two posts. And when that filament breaks... When the connection between those two is broken, there's no more light. Right? When the connection between the two is broken, there's no more light. To love one another, to be devoted to one another is I'm going to hold on to you. No matter what else happens, I'm going to hold on to you. I'm going to make sure you're okay. I'm going to do whatever I can for your restoration. I'm going to do whatever I can to build you up. It's going to cost me at times. I'm not going to be happy at times. I'd rather punch you in the throat. How many have been there? You want to punch? Yeah, right? I'm going to hold on to you. And God says he's glorified through that. So as we learn to love each other, be devoted to each other, his glory. As I chase after what is glorifying to God and as you chase after what is glorifying to God, as we do that together, a radiance washes over God's people. Thank you for sharing your time with us and we'd love for the journey to continue. If you're a guest, would you consider reaching out to us? We would love to come alongside and encourage you in any way that we can. If you're someone who's joined us today and you are desperately reaching to find hope wherever you can, again, Jesus came that we would find hope. You can find hope today. If you want to send us a short note, a member of our hope team would reach out quickly, promptly to come alongside and see what we can do to encourage you in whatever storm you might find yourself in. That's why Jesus came. And that's why we're here. Jesus said there's two ways to live your life. And a wise man, a wise woman, builds their life on Jesus' instructions. God bless.